0: All right, welcome, everybody, to the Beat the Drum podcast, episode two The GOAT Wins Again. And if you tuned in last week to the first episode of the podcast, we gave our Super Bowl predictions. Myself and Luke predicted that the Chiefs would win, and Mason correctly predicted that Tampa Bay would take home Super Bowl 55. So, congratulations, Mason. Thank on you, your sir. Um, joining us this week, we have Ethan, newest member to the podcast. Say hello, Ethan. Hello, everybody. So, are you boys ready to dive into our topics this week?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: All right. So, first thing we're going to be talking about today is Super Bowl 55. Tampa Bay Bucks defeated the Kansas City Chiefs 31 9 in an absolute burial on Sunday night. (laughs) I can start with Mason. You correctly predicted the winner. What did you think of this game?
2: So, as Skip Bayless likes to say, this was all about Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr., he was a Super Bowl (laughs) MVP. He went 21 for 29, that's 72%, with 201 yards uh, passing and three touchdowns. Obviously played a great game. Everything was working for him. Um, And then on the other side of the ball, uh, Mahomes obviously struggled a lot, even though his team wasn't helping him a whole bunch. Went 26 for 49, 270 yards, two interceptions. Uh, The first time in his career, he was held out of the end zone. They only put up nine points through field goals, and it's also his first loss by more than eight points, so first double-digit loss in his career. So this whole game, I think, even though Brady won the MVP, it was about the Buccaneers defense, which if you listened to last week's pod, uh, I said that that would be the deciding factor in this game. Obviously, the Chiefs had three offensive linemen out, and it really showed they put a guy in there who hasn't played all year, and the puck collapsed almost every play. Patrick Williams is scrambling, and it just wasn't good. Uh, Mahomes was pressured 29 out of 56 of his dropbacks, that's 52% in most all-time in a Super Bowl. And on the other side of the ball, Tom Brady was only pressured four times out of his dropbacks, which is his lowest personal in any of his 10 Super Bowls. Obviously on the offense, Pat Mahomes didn't get much help. He made a lot of big-time plays falling down two at the end of the game, and his teammates let him down a lot of drops. Kelsey obviously had that big second-quarter drop, which could have been a tie-turner. At the end of the game, obviously, it was already over, but those insane plays where he was falling down and threw from his side, and they couldn't come up with it. Uh, Another big factor this led to the Chiefs' defeat was all the penalties. They came out looking really sloppy. They just didn't—they looked flat, unprepared, and eventually it led to their downfall, and they fell to the Buccaneers.
0: All right. Well, Ethan, Luke, and myself watched the game together at Luke's place on sunday night so we were all there together observing what this game resulted in being and i'll go to luke here luke what did, what was your takeaway from our viewing experience on sunday night
1: well it started off big with tom brady getting his first touchdown in the first quarter of a uh, of a super bowl which was it, it just went from there um he ended up with three touchdowns in the first half which by far Completely was blowing out the Kansas City Chiefs and like I said Tom Brady needed to be an x-factor for this game And he he completely balled out. I mean he only had 200 and so passing yards But he didn't really need to because his team was dominating them both defensively and offensively and Leonard Fournette had a really big game And he's definitely gonna get a big contract in the offseason but also the Bucks really did a good job of locking down Tyreek Hill he only had 7 receptions for 73 yards, and you might think that's a lot, but for Tyree Kill, it's it's really not, especially looking back at the previous game that they had where he completely went off in the first half. But Tyree Kill, he had a lot of drops. I mean, so did the rest of the receiving core, but according to Pro Football Focus, Deontay Johnson led the league with 15 drops in the season, but Tyree Kill had 13, which is, it it's surprised me, definitely, um, because I didn't think he was that close because Deontay Johnson was dropped everything this season. But Tyreek Hill definitely got locked down. He he could, should have had a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes, he did what he could. He had 270 yards in the game, but it just wasn't enough. Also, I read something that the weekend coming out of the uh from from the goal line all the way to center field had more yards. Than Patrick Mahomes or the entire Chiefs offense in the first half, so that, that was that was pretty funny.
0: All right, Ethan, what do you think of this Sunday's game?
3: So, I kind of I was definitely caught off guard because this was one of those games where I thought that it would be whoever has the ball last with two minutes left is going to win the game. The I think the the guy who deserves the most credit for this game is probably Todd Bowles, the DC for the Bucks. Because in that first game, I think it was like week 10, that they played against the uh, Chiefs. That was, if everyone remembers, that was the game where Tyreek Hill went off like 200 and something yards in the first quarter and nothing that they could do in that first half went right. And if you watch the game in the second half, he started to do a lot of similar things in this game. Like he dedicated four guys to Hill and Kelsey the entire game. Like, he, I don't know who he was, who we put on him at all times, but they were on pretty much every single play. Both those guys were always, were always doubled or at least had three combined players on them. Like, I don't, if you, I mean, I I don't watch tape or anything, but if you go, if you were to go back and look at the tape, I would say like 90, 95% of the snaps is all just them being double covered or triple covered just to prevent the big play. Because, like, I guess you could say that they didn't. They didn't want to have them beat us. They said we can if we can get these down, if we can get these guys down the two big weapons, we'll try to make everybody else beat us. And I don't think that McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, and Daryl Williams are really good enough to do that without those other two unlocking everything around them.
0: So I'd yeah. say like
3: it's a big surprise, but the guy who deserves the most credit for this one in my opinion is definitely Todd Bowles.
0: I completely agree, and as somebody who I feel like I've watched more Chiefs games than everybody else, considering I watch the Broncos' Chiefs games, and most of the time they aren't national games, I feel like I watch more Chiefs games than everybody else, and personally, I feel like the Chiefs were finally exposed. You saw a little bit of it last year in the Super Bowl against the Niners, where the Niners' defense had Mahomes locked down for most of the game until the fourth quarter, when things just started to unravel for them. And if Jimmy Garoppolo hadn't played like absolute trash in that fourth quarter, the Niners probably win last year. And I honestly think that Patrick Mahomes have just developed or might have just secured a notion whereas that he cannot perform in the big game. Now, I understand that his offensive line was absolute trash, but he's not the only quarterback who's had to deal with backup offensive linemen this season. I mean, I'm pretty sure at least everywhere around the league an offensive lineman gone down. I mean, look at the Eagles. They started, like, 14 yeah. different combinations at offensive line this season.
3: Yeah. This you game can't... was so bad that it made people, it made Eagles fans on Twitter think that maybe Carson Wentz wasn't a bad quarterback because of his
0: offensive line,
3: which <laughs> is just nonsense and get that out of here.
0: Just, like, Mahomes, yeah. Mahomes made some incredible throws on the run, especially that one where he's about a foot off the ground, zip, sidearm, zip, like, 40 yards to the end zone and it hits Williams right in the face, and he drops it. Like, Mahomes played as hard as he could, and obviously it's a team game, but I feel like the Chiefs, everybody has this idea that the Chiefs are going to come in, drop 35 in your head, and if you don't score on every drive, you're going to be like, you're going to fall behind. And I feel like this game proves that if you just stick if you just stick to your, your strategy, you play a game how you're supposed to play the game, and you get out early against the Chiefs, like we saw Buffalo get up to a 9 nothing lead, and Buffalo was still pretending like they were down. If you just play the Chiefs as you were with a normal opponent, I feel like they're very beatable, and I think this game proved it. And going forward, you know teams are going to copy exactly what Todd Bowles did in the Super Bowl. It's a copycat league. Everybody, when they play the Chiefs, are going to try and implement what Todd Bowles did in this game. And I feel like, I feel like if Andy Reid doesn't start switching some things up, which she's very creative, but if he doesn't start switching some things around, I feel like the Chiefs' offensive numbers might take a might take a dip next season.
1: I feel like the big thing for the Chiefs offense is that they're able to be creative with the weapons that they have, like Travis Kelsey, like Tyree Kill, and the connection that Patrick Mahomes has with both of them. And so they're able to do like option routes and all. Cause if I'm not wrong, is Andy Reid a good play caller down the stretch? Yeah. He's a play caller. Well, he's like, not
0: very good with his time manager. He likes to abandon. Well, yeah. well,
1: like, does he um, <clears throat> does he tend to get repetitive with uh, a bunch of plays that he used earlier in the year?
0: I would say yeah. so, but I mean, every play he's ran this year worked. I mean, the Chiefs' offense is <laughs> yeah. virtually unstoppable. So, I mean, I would say he's one of the most. Like he, I mean, he's got a Super Bowl now, and
3: he's been doing this for over twenty years. Like, I think he he might have an argument for top three top five head coach by the time he retires so i, I mean he might be the greatest
0: offensive coach of all time i mean there, I look, look what he did with the oh, eagles there, there, i mean there. and his quarter none of his quarterbacks ever came close to how good my is like, he got
3: to he got to three NFC championship games with Todd pinkston as his number one wide receiver
0: yeah donovan McNabb, a quarterback I mean, the Eagles kind of ran the NFC for like a solid decade there under Andy Reid. Obviously, they weren't – like not every single season they were in the playoffs because we all know how the NFC East works. But when they were in yeah. it, they were in it. And the Birds under Andy Reid were pretty successful. Their offense was usually pretty good. I mean, you see the success carry over to Kansas City. I think Andy Reid might have a case there for the greatest offensive coach of all time.
1: But – we also saw Bienemy calling plays, so maybe that's a reason why he wasn't hired, or hasn't been, you know, interviewed through like the Eagles. Eagles skipped the interview completely with him, and then they hired the Colts coordinator or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think that was just because they wanted control. I don't think they wanted
1: probably. Yeah, yeah.
0: Bien- yeah. whoever hires Bienemy, Bienemy's gonna take control and do his thing, and I feel like the Eagles weren't looking for that. Same with the Texans.
3: Yeah, like To me,
0: any Andy Reid disciple is good
3: anyway, because I feel like half the league is all ex-Andy Reid assistants. So mm-hmm. I feel like they work out more often than not.
0: Yeah, unlike Belichick's guys. Yeah, yeah. all of them flop. <laughs> uh, to bring it back uh, to
2: Todd Bowles for a second, I really think that if you could give the mvp to anyone it would be him player or coach uh i saw a stat pop up on the screen that i actually took a picture of so the bucks ran two high safeties on 82 percent of the plays which is the highest rate they had all season i think todd bowles really took this game personally and said tyree kill burn us for 210 yards in the first half of the last game he played them he said the hell with that you guys aren't getting open we're gonna make guys like Byron Pringle beat us and <laughs> you saw how it worked. They couldn't get anything going.
0: Yeah. Alright, so any any final comments, thoughts on the Super Bowl fifty five as we head into the offseason, anyone?
3: My favorite moment from the entire game was when Antoine Winfield Jr. hit Tyreek Hill with a peace sign. Yes. I gotta say I love that. That
2: was that was probably
3: the most entertaining part of the game.
2: I also like when Ch- Tom got chippy with um
0: yeah, oh, wait, Matthew, Matthew.
2: I really enjoyed that. Do You see that he gave an apology out.
0: Yeah, well, Tyron Matthew um, kind of made it seem like Tom might have used a slur or something like that. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't I don't think that's the case. But he did delete the tweet, so I don't know about all that. Hmm. But uh, as somebody who didn't want Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl and definitely didn't want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. I honestly thought, I was pretty pleased with how the game turned out. I found myself rooting for the Bucks more and more as it went on. There's just a lot of guys on that team that I was pretty happy for to see them win a Super Bowl. Like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, Levante David, who's been in Tampa for a long time. So I th- I thought it was pretty cool for some of those guys to win their first ring. And I cannot wait until next season.
3: But, mm-hmm. um, only, only for, what is it, eight more months, seven yeah. more months, something like that? <laughs>
0: Yeah, seriously. So moving on to the next season that's coming up, baseball season baseball. is around the corner. Teams are sending their their equipment down on the trucks now. Pitchers and catchers report in like eight or like eight or nine days or something like that. Yes, baseball is just around the corner, and MLB, the players' union, and the owners are once again at each other's throats. With pandemic still going on, not everybody vaccinated. There's still rule changes that both the Players Union and MLB wants to try and make things a lot safer for everybody. And there's a couple different rule changes that have been proposed, and and as of today, some have been enacted. Today, they announced that seven-inning doubleheaders will return, as well as the runner on second base to start extra innings. The Players Union wants a universal DH, so both in the National League and American League, the owners don't. The owners want an expanded playoffs, the players Union doesn't. And then there's also the three batter minimum rule for pitchers that is still out there. So with all of these different rules being floated out there, I'll start with Ethan. He's our, I'd say he's our big baseball guy here. <laughs> um, how do you feel about some of these proposed rules and the different changes going on in the game?
3: The thing, my,
0: I've been a big proponent
3: of the of the uh, universal DH for a while. I, I love it. You, it's like your lineup goes nine deep and not just eight, and a basic automatic out with a pitcher. And I know there's some pitchers who are good at hitting, like, bless Vince Velasquez. But, like, I'm so I'm so excited to eventually, like, have a lineup where we have three guys on and two outs and not have to worry about Aaron Nola coming up and getting a, a weak ground out to the first base, like, up to first baseline. Like, I'm so I'm – ex- I want it because I'm so tired of seeing all these, like, momentum killers – just because your pitcher comes up and he can't hit.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, I know Mason had an outlandish idea mm. for what the MLB should do with DHs. Mason, what were you saying earlier?
2: Yeah, so I view the universal DH as an all-or-nothing kind of ordeal. I think they either give it to everybody, which obviously this in this scenario, that would make the most sense. I think that having it in just the AL is idiotic. But in reality, I think that they should just completely get rid of it I think that it takes away from the strategy of the game, which is baseball's biggest growing problem. Everybody just hits bombs. There's no uh, like situational hitting, bunting. But when a pitcher comes up, you have to really take a long look and say, hey, we're in this situation. We need some momentum. Do we send a DH in there? Use one of our guys off the bench? Do we have a bunt? What do we What do, we do in this situation? I think it makes it a little more interesting. And Of course, as Ethan mentioned, there's some pitchers that do actually like to the hit. They're actually decent at it, and they would obviously still be able to, but I think it makes it a little more interesting if you have one of those types of players.
1: I do agree with you, Mason, on the fact that it does make it more strategic and a bit interesting, but I feel like with the way that baseball has been trending, which is in a downward spiral, I feel like it would be better to have the universal DH just because it makes it more interesting that there's more people able to hit bombs. There's more people able to be there and get their names like known.
0: I'll pick up on what you're saying. The DH, not only does it give casual fans some, more like something to look forward to, an extra guy hitting, it also helps roster construction because now you can have guys that would only go to American League teams join the National League to be a DH, guys like Nelson Cruz who you know he's not going out there And playing a position because he's just at the point in his career where he's not—he'd be like a liability out there. You can help your roster construction. You can give guys days off, as we saw in the National League last year with the Phillies. Like JT Romito could take a day off from catching, but not have to miss the entire game completely. He could DH and still have his bat in the lineup, and that Mm -hmm. was super important for the Phillies last year. I think the DH—I think the DH is definitely something that going forward, we all know it's bound to happen at some point they're going to have a universal DH. And while it does take away some strategy from the game, I do think that having some of these other rule changes adds more strategy back. So, like, that can be, like, your toss-up there. Like, uh, I personally didn't think I would like the runner at second base in extra innings. I thought it was stupid. I thought, that's so little league. Like, what the hell? But then I watched it. And I watched the kind of chaos that it created. And I watched more runs being scored in the 10th and 11th inning versus having to stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning watching a 17-inning game. And as much fun as those are, it, it's at the point now where once you get to late innings, it's not baseball anymore. You have position like players pitching. So mm-hmm. I I personally liked last year having the runners start at second base. Um, I like the strategy. Do you bunt? Do you steal? If you're the pitching team, do you intentionally walk the first batter? I feel like it adds a lot of strategy, and I personally think that it. I like how... I like that it's coming back this year, and I do think they should implement it going forward.
2: Yeah, I think you made a really good point when you said that it's all about like finding a balance. Like maybe you give with the DH and take away with some of the strategy, but then you add something else that makes it more interesting. Like me personally, I loved, and I think you didn't mention earlier today that they're keeping the seven inning double headers. I think it speeds it up a lot, which is another one of baseball's biggest problems. So it's kind of like a give and a take where maybe you implement some of these rules, maybe think, oh, maybe that's not that great, but then you implement something else and kind of give the fans something else to look forward to. I think it's all about finding that balance.
3: Luke, Ethan? I have mixed feelings about it. It's one of those things where, I, like you said, I thought I was going to absolutely hate it when they when they introduced it. And I didn't like it last year, but I can definitely see it's like it's probably one of those things where it's probably going to stick, and I'm just going to see myself just starting to be like, all right, whatever. It's just part of the game now and just not really getting too upset about it. But, like, if I had to if – I, if I preferred, like, to have it or to not have it, I would not have it. But it's one of those things that I know if it works out this year, it's just going to be a part of the baseball forever after that at that point. So it's one of those things where you just like, you might might as well just get used to it now and stop, like, complaining because it's it's going to stick.
1: Ethan you took the words right out of my mouth
3: <laughs> yeah it was just it was successful enough last year and I think it was I think a lot of people hadn't like Matt like Matt you said that you kind of
0: ended up liking it so yeah yeah I definitely think that if they're gonna experiment and try to find things that people like casual fans would want to tune into more I definitely think that um both the Universal DH and this runner starting at second base and extra innings would definitely increase uh, definitely increase attendance. I mean, only a quarter of the stadium is going to be able to attend this year, which is definitely a step up from last year. But if you're going to want to increase viewers on TV and attendance, I think that's something that will get more people involved. But um, moving on to our next topic, we are going to talk about the NFL hot stove. Um, there's two big quarterback names that are out there. And Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz and where will they end up? We know both guys won out or reportedly won out. Deshaun Watson's definitely made it clear he wants out. Carson Wentz has been quite quiet about this this offseason. Where do we think that Deshaun Watson's going to end up? Where do we think that Carson Wentz is going to end up? I'll start with Luke. Where do you think they're going to go?
1: Well you heard my take last week about Deshaun Watson. I feel like he fits perfect in the, the Carolina Panthers scheme. I feel like they could definitely move on from Teddy Bridgewater. And I feel like they definitely would want to trade for him. Because we already know he wants out. Whether or not the the management wants to trade him or not, he, he wants out. He doesn't want to be there anymore, and he knows it. And for Carson Wentz, just like everyone else is saying, I feel like it's either the Bears or the Colts. But I don't see why the Eagles would want to get back Nick Foles... He's an icon here. He's amazing. He won them a Super Bowl, but just like they have now, it'll just lead to a quarterback controversy if Jalen Hurst does not play
0: well. All right. Well, we got some resident Eagles fans on this podcast. Mason, Ethan, who would like to go next?
2: Okay. Let's talk about Carson. So (laughs) first thing I want to talk about is not even about Carson Woods. So this guy we brought in, what's his name? I don't even know his name. Nick Nick Sirianni. Yeah. So what I was hearing was that he was brought in here because it was pretty much a yes man and he said, Yeah, I'll work with Carson Wentz. So like, okay, bring in a new coach. Let's see how Carson Wentz fits into another scheme. So I just can't wrap around in my head why we brought in this guy who was supposed to be able to work with Carson Wentz, you know, comes from under Frank Reich, all that all that jazz. Great. And now we're talking about trading the guy, which okay, I'm fine with. But then you talk about trading to the Bears. And bringing back the guy who was the biggest distraction of this franchise, and arguably who broke Carson Wentz. So, I mean, I guess whoever you get the better offer from, if you think Nick Foles can come in here and help, I honestly think he can. He wasn't that much of a distraction. It was really Carson in his own head um, the year after the Super Bowl. I think he can help with Jalen Hurts a lot if they're going to go forward with him as their guy. And just help the offense in general. For Carson Wentz, I think it's a lot better if he goes to the Colts. Obviously, I mean, do you really want to play in Chicago? The defense is like, it's been better in Chicago, but it's still pretty good. And the offense, I mean, I wouldn't say arguably worse than the Eagles. Last year, it was better. If we had our offensive line that was uh, still healthy, I would say the Eagles offense is a better situation, honestly. Um, One interesting thing that I heard was that the Eagles should ask for Darius Leonard. I don't think there's any way in hell that they are able to get this done, but if they were able to, I would love to have a great linebacker, which we haven't had in years other than... um, oh, Who was that guy they picked up off the streets this year? Oh,
3: uh, Singleton?
2: Yeah, yeah. It was great. I loved him. But a legit linebacker would be nice. Um, Deshaun Watson, honestly, I think the best fit would be the Miami Dolphins. They can give the Texans back what they want. I think it's really interesting that they're trying to say they're trying to lock him up and not let him leave almost, which honestly, in today's world, I don't really think is possible. I think if Deshaun Watson wants out, he's going to end up getting out. And I think the Dolphins are a good situation. You can get quarterback like Tua back or get kicks back. I kind of understand it from the perspective of their new GM. Obviously, you have a franchise guy like Deshaun Watson. You don't want to just let him walk away. At the same time, if he really doesn't want to be there maybe it's time you go into complete rebuild and you just got to get what you can for the guy. I mean, people are saying, what? If if Matthew Stafford was worth two firsts and Jared Goff, what are you going to get for lots of yeah, seven?
0: Like, yeah. it'll well,
2: probably be a ridiculous haul, and I think they could actually make out good with it.
0: I think the contract that Jared Goff had a little bit to do there. Um, oh, sure. We had a fan comment on the live stream, Pat Kelleher. He asked, what are the chances of Wentz stays in Philly? If he stays, do you see Hurts as the starter or does Carson get a second shot? Me personally, there's no way that Jalen Hurts could stay if Carson comes back just because Carson's kind of at the point where, one, he was benched for the guy. Two, Carson kind of is coming off as a spoiled brat and that if he doesn't like the situation, he's not going to play. You might see him in a Deshaun Watson spot where he just won't show up. Um, I think that if Wentz stays, Hurts has to go. I don't know what you can get for Jalen. I mean, the guy played four games and was a second-round pick, but i it's more likely that Wentz goes. He's more of an established guy. Honestly, in the beginning of this whole Wentz situation, I personally did not see New England as a viable option. I'm like, there's no way Bill Belichick is going to trade capital for this guy. But I've kind of turned that opinion around. I honestly think Carson Wentz is going to end up in New England. I don't see bill belichick waiting around for another quarterback i don't see him going and drafting a guy when he'd have to sit there and develop him i think bill is kind of at the point where he wants to win and he wants to win now he's not he's not going to be around for too much longer i would feel so if bill's going to do this he's going to try and compete and he's going to try and go back to the super bowl to prove that he doesn't need tom brady and to do that i see him going after a veteran i don't think he drafts i think I mean, we all knew that the Patriots checked in on Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford didn't want to go to New England. I think that Carson Wentz could benefit from being with Bill Belichick. Um, Carson would have to learn quickly, though, that Bill is in charge of the team, not him, and he would have to fall in line the Patriot way. But I honestly could see Carson Wentz going to New England. I could see the Patriots maybe sending some draft capital. I do not think he's worth a first, and I do not think Bill Belichick would send a first. But who knows, the Patriots aren't necessarily the best drafters in the league. And then, selfishly, I think Deshaun Watson ends up, in, ends up in Denver. The Broncos were in on Matt Stafford. They were one of the top three teams at the end. With that willingness, to sh- they were willing to give Drew Locke and their ninth overall pick. I think that Denver would definitely be willing to give up more for Deshaun, especially because he's such a young guy and he's a franchise quarterback. But I also think it makes more sense for him to go to Denver versus uh, the Dolphins or the Jets. Some of the teams have been floating around. For the Jets, I don't think they're a quarterback away. I don't see. If they were to trade for Deshaun Watson, he would be in the same situation that he's in in Houston. A team with Stratford talent and really have no chance of winning with either this year or the next two years. And then Miami's unique. I don't think they give up on Tua like that. They have the third pick because. They robbed the Texans with Laramie Tunsil. Um, I don't see them giving the pick back that they earned. Obviously, Sean Watson at this point is better than Tua. You might want to give the kid a shot. You took him with the fifth overall pick. I feel like if you're going to take a guy that high, you definitely think he's worth that caliber of player. I mean, he did come off a serious injury. He didn't play bad, but he didn't necessarily play well. So I don't see the Dolphins going in on him. I honestly think Denver is a quarterback away. I think they can afford to give up multiple first-round picks. They'll send Drew Locke, so Houston has a bridge quarterback this year. I think that they spend the capital. The new GM's not afraid to go out and get a guy, and I can see him ending up in Denver.
1: I don't see him ending up in Denver for the fact that I don't think that they would want to go through the AFC. I feel like if anyone ends up in Denver, it could possibly be Carson Wentz. Thoughts on mm. that, Broncos fan?
0: I would rather die. <laughs> nice one. Especially at the yeah. price that especially at the price that he's been rumored around. There is no way that Carson Wentz draws a first round pick. I'm sorry. He's just he played he was like the second worst quarterback among all caliber players last season. Like yeah. I just don't see him netting a first round pick. And especially with the rumors that Chicago would send multiple firsts and a player, I'm like, there's no way. That the would be price, just a straight up fleece. Depending on the price, I wouldn't mind, but I don't want to give up anything higher than a fifth for him. Yeah. <laughs> I, not, like,
1: not
2: even like a third?
0: Not even a third. <laughs> I honestly think that trading for Carson Wentz, who I think it, Sam Darnold, Drew Locke, and Carson Wentz were the three worst quarterbacks last season. Having two of the three on your roster is not a good look. I don't think it's worth it trading anything more than a fifth. Um, I I just don't see it.
1: I would like to say what a hot seek right here. I, I believe... If, besides Deshaun Watson, uh, I believe the best and cheapest quarterback to get on the market right now would be Gardner
0: Minshew. He's never proven that he's like anything good, though. He did have a good—he had a decent run in Jacksonville. I mean, the Jaguars kind of— I don't understand
2: play they why they just because, sat him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they wanted
0: to lose. That's why they didn't play him. They wanted Trevor uh, yeah. Lawrence. So that's why he didn't play. I think Gardner Minshew's not a bad quarterback. He definitely needs to have some weapons around him or else he's probably not gonna produce. But I don't I think Gardner Minshew's a pretty solid quarterback. He's a good backup option at the very least. I feel like white. if if win.
3: you have Gardner Minshew as like your starting quarterback, I feel like you're capped at like nine wins
0: and like maybe a playoff win. I feel like you can't there's no way you could go any farther than that. I, I agree, but I there's teams that'll take that right now. Yeah. So <laughs> Um, any final thoughts, guys, on the Wentz Watson situations?
3: If anybody offers a first for Wentz, take, take it, it immediately.
2: <laughs> no second thoughts or looking back. No. You pull if you're Howie
3: and the Bears are like, Hey, we'll give you Tariq Cohen and this first round pick, you take that and don't even say like if you even if you told Carson that you weren't gonna trade in ten minutes before, you
0: pull the trigger and you trade it right now.
2: Say okay and hang up the phone. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, boys. So we are going to head into our next topic, and it is today in history, and I'm going to give this one off to Ethan.
3: All right, so just just a quick in in today's history in sports. I find this very interesting because most of us here probably don't like the Yankees that much or Alex Rodriguez that much. So I, in today, in two, uh, February 9, 2009, New York Yankees baseball superstar Alex Rodriguez admits to having used uh, PEDs earlier in his career Especially during with the his stint with the Texas Rangers. Now, personally, this is his. I mean, this is pretty significant just because this was kind of the start of the whole. I mean, MLB they started cracking down on PEDs a couple of years before this, and like they had like Jose Canseco and they had like Barry Bonds and stuff like that. But this was like when it all. I feel like this is probably when it all like came to a head when they were like, okay, this is like an actual problem that we need to. Take care of this. Like this is the same era when you had Ryan Braun got busted a couple of years later. I think Robinson Cano had like some early, yeah, like had some early stuff around this time. Like all these, like all these guys who were just using PEDs. And while it wasn't even like in the nineties, like in the steroid era, it wasn't. Uh, it technically wasn't against the rules to use it. It just wasn't a good look for baseball. And that even that continued into the next decade when they had A-Rod playing on there. All right. And then you wanted to give a
0: little shout-out to that? Oh,
3: yeah. One more shout-out. I just wanted to give um, RIP to Marty Schottenheimer. He's prob- if you don't know who he is, he was an NFL head coach for like 30 years. He was that last six- – besides like Bill Belichick for one year, he was the last successful head coach of the Browns. I think in the 80s, he brought him to, like, the playoffs, like, five times, and they went it's, like, three AFC championship games. The – and then I, after that, he went to – he was a coach of the Chiefs throughout, like, the 90s. And then, in, like, the early 2000s, he was, like, the coach of the char, of the Chargers when they had, like, LT, uh, Antonio Gates, and, like, I think Drew Brees in, like, the first year or two of Phillip Rivers. Just wanted to give my final respects to a legend. That one of the best coaches to never win the Super Bowl and just one of the best uh,
0: coaches in NFL history, period. So, RIP, Marty. RIP. Alrighty, gents. And we're going to move to our final topic this evening, and it's yeah. the NBA Finals. Uh, we gave our Super Bowl prediction last week with the game going on. Uh, we will be giving our MLB uh, predictions next week. So, we decided that we're going to get our NBA ones in this weekend. Um Coming up soon might be an all-star game, so we're kind of around the all-star break. Not really sure how that's going to end up, but the way that things are going, I'll start with Mason. Who do you think is going to end up in this year's NBA Finals?
2: So coming out of the West, I think the Lakers, they were favorited, uh, or favored, I should say. I think the best te- the team's got the best chance of beating them is the Clippers. I think they're just built to beat the Lakers. If they end up facing each other, it could be an interesting series. Honestly, other than that, everyone kind of looks shaky out of the West right now. A lot of people are still saying Nuggets. They come out to a slow start. Uh, the Jazz are obviously killing it right now, but I think eventually they fall flat and probably level off to maybe a 3, I would say, the high, maybe like a 4 seed. Uh, I think they win at least a round. Um, And coming out of the East, I'm extremely high on the 76ers right now. Obviously, they're playing great. Um, I think what hindered them in the past in the playoffs was Brett Brown. Obviously, they have Doc Rivers now. Uh, It looks like they're working a lot better under him. And then the other teams, the top teams right now, would be, you'd say, the Nets. I think the issue with the Nets is that they have no defense. And if you look statistically throughout the history... Uh, of the league, I think I saw that if you look at their defensive rating, there's only one other team with a defensive rating as bad as they have that have made even the playoffs. Like These teams with bad defenses don't even make the playoffs, though in the finals. Um, they could have it come together, but I don't really see it happening. And then the bucks they're good in the regular season every year, and they've never shown up in the playoffs. I don't trust them at all. I think if the Sixers play them right now, or in the future, in a round of playoffs, I think they win. Uh, other than that, out of the East, the Celtics might get it together. I know they had some issues with health, but I don't really see them as a viable threat. So I think in the finals, it'll be the Lakers coming out of the West and the Sixers coming out of the East.
0: All right. Luke, how do you. Uh, I know you're not the biggest basketball guy, but who do you got?
1: Yeah, I really don't watch much basketball, if any at all. But give me the Sixers, Lakers, just because the Lakers are the Lakers. They have LeBron, they have AD. They're they're just a beast and based on the matchup that they had before with the Sixers, I know LeBron shoved and beat and all that, but I feel like it's gonna be a it would be an amazing series to watch and I would love to watch that, but I feel like the Nets are overrated because they are all offense, they have zero defense, and that goes beyond my knowledge of basketball.
0: <laughs> all right, Ethan, what do you got, buddy?
3: So, I'm going to start off with the Western Conference. And my pick in the West, it's probably, I'm going to go with the same as you guys. I do think it's going to be the Lakers. I think that Utah is probably the biggest threat. Just, I don't know, I just, I've, the way that they've been playing this year has been really, really impressive to me. I kind of thought that their ceiling was like a 4-5 or five seed and like a second round exit, but Donovan Mitchell has been playing great. Uh, Rudy Rudy Gobert, as much as I say, he is overrated, has been playing pretty well. And, like, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich, uh, even, like, Jordan Clarkson, they're finally getting consistency, like, out of their role players. So I'm kind of down on the Clippers just because they're one of those teams, again, where it's like you've never made it past the second round ever, so why would I pick you to go to the finals? Like, I need you to prove it to me first before I can actually pick you to do that. Like I said, I find like conference final it would probably be like Utah and the Lakers, but I would take the Lakers easily in that. And then in the East, probably biased considering I own like eight Sixers jerseys and various Sixers paraphernalia is hanging up throughout my room right now. But I will say the Sixers, you look at this team in the past, um, one of the biggest, one of those underrated things that I think that's different about this year compared to last year is that they actually have some sort of level of continuity? If you look the first year when the Sixers were good again in like 2017-18, if you look at the roster, the only two players that are still left from that team are Ben and Simmons, are uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So they're really the only two constants that have been around during this pro, like the process era of actually being good at basketball. So I think it's kind of underrated that they they're still together you have some role players like you have to for a whole year. You have guys off the bench like shake and Matisse and Mike Scott. And I think that's just a really underrated part of maybe why this team is so is performing so much better and up to their potential that, the, and why they haven't been before, just because they are getting some of the same guys back. They are able to just get to know these guys better. And that just makes playing with each other a little bit easier. And like I said, Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers are both astounding at what they do. I don't know how you, I don't know how you possibly turn Al Horford into Danny Green and base basically Seth Curry for Josh Richardson too. Like you basically got rid of two non-shooters that were killing your spacing the whole year before, and you basically just get two guys that are just going to open everything up. I think that helps that definitely helps Simmons' game, considering that he doesn't shoot threes. And he, I think I saw a stat today where when he's on the court, they shoot like 40% from three. And when he's off the court, they only shoot like 25%. So even though he doesn't shoot them, he's such a good facilitator that he gives you those wide open looks and makes it easier for you to shoot. And then that also opens it up for Embiid too, who, as you can see, is the MVP frontrunner in my book, who's averaging almost 30 points a game. Fair so the final prediction
0: is Sixers-Lakers. All right, so we have three sets of... Sixers, Lakers, I will not continue that trend. Um, personally, I think the Clippers got kicked in the mouth last year when they were eliminated, blew the 3-1 lead to Denver. Um, they had their they had their sights set on the Lakers. They thought that they were going to cruise their way to the fi- uh, Western Conference Finals and meet with LeBron, and I think that this year was a slap in the face. Well, I think that signing Ty Lu and getting rid of Doc Rivers was a mistake. I just think that the talent that they have there, is good enough to overcome. I really don't see... I don't think the coaching probably will make that much of a difference as long as the team's motivated. If Paul George just has to show up, and I think the Clippers can finally make it to a Western Conference Finals where they will meet the Lakers, um, it's LeBron James. If he's not in the Finals, he's going to definitely be in the Western Conference Finals. It's just a guarantee every single year. And I really feel that the Clippers match up well with the Lakers. They built their team to beat the Lakers... And I think if they can get there, they will beat the Lakers. Um, I think that Kawhi I think that Kawhi and Paul George are the kryptonite to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And we will see, but if it's Clippers, Lakers have taken the Clippers to go to the finals. And then in the East, as much as I want to pick the Sixers, I picked them a couple I picked them so many times because I just thought the talent on their team was just had such great potential. But this I just don't see them beating the Nets. And I understand that the Nets defense is atrocious, that they can't defend anybody. But at the same time, that was the same deal with the Houston Rockets for the last couple of years under James Harden and Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni. And they still went toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors. I think that James Harden, while he doesn't necessarily show up like he does in the regular season during the postseason, I think that he finally has guys that he feels comfortable with giving the ball. He did. while he did have Dwight Howard and Chris Paul, he's never had guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And before James Harden even went there, people were picking the nets. I think that in crunch time, the Kevin Durant will probably take the shots. I don't think there's a guy on this planet that can honestly guard Kevin Durant. Ben Simmons will probably be tasked with that. But then who's guarding Harden and who's guarding Kyrie? And another issue I find with the Sixers is that I'm still not sold on Tobias Harris. He's having a good year, but when it comes to the playoffs, is he going to be that guy, or is he just going to be another another piece out there on the floor? I find I struggle sometimes with Tobias because I feel like there's just times where in the biggest moments, instead of taking the ball and trying to take control, he just kind of is just lost on the floor, and you kind of forget he's out there sometimes. So I think that the Brooklyn Nets will beat the Sixers. I think it'll be a Nets-Clippers finals And I think Kevin Durant versus Kawhi Leonard will be a hell of a matchup. But I honestly think that the Clippers are probably the better team. Their defense is insane. I think the Clippers finally win the NBA Finals this season.
2: Um, I'd just like to add, I refreshed my Twitter feed to see if there's any news before we got off. And it was funny that we're talking about the Nets and their horrible defense, because there are multiple videos of James Harden and DeAndre Jordan getting into it. I'm assuming about DeAndre Jordan's defense. Which I think is hilarious, because in order to get to Brooklyn, James Harden, obviously, uh, they had to get rid of all of their defensive players. So the fact that he's complaining about it to me is just very funny.
3: They're (laughs) also losing by 12 to the Pistons, (laughs) with about about a minute left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's That's
0: good. All right, guys. Well, this concludes the second episode of the Beat the Drum podcast. Thank you for all who followed along in our live stream. The video will be uploaded on our website, revolutionsports.org, and it will be posted as a video on the Revolution Sports Network channel. We will be back next Tuesday where we will talk about, hopefully, a Carson Wentz or Deshaun Watson trade. We'll talk about the MLB, and I'm sure we'll find some great other topics to go in on. So until next time, we will see you guys later.